Welcome to the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast, where you will learn career strategies and techniques to help you break down barriers, make more money, and thrive in your tech life at work and at home. Technology has never been more mission critical to our online stay-at-home world, and you are the key to its success. You'll hear from diverse women in tech as well as experts who share both personal and professional strategies so you can transform your work and your workplace from the inside out. I'm Karen Morstel, former Silicon Valley tech leader and serial CISO for iconic brands like AT&T Wireless, Microsoft, and Russell Investments. I hope you will join me in my mission and message of resilience and transformation to make an inclusive and equitable tech industry. If you find this show helpful, please leave us a like and share it. And don't forget to hurry over to createyourleadingedge.com to join innovative and affordable group coaching for women in tech on your terms. And now on to Mojo Maker for Women in Tech. During my conversation today with board director Michelle Ashby, we came to the conclusion that we should no longer use the term only and lonely to refer to underrepresented groups and women in male-dominated work environments. Have a listen to today's episode and find out why. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast. And today I have with me a very special guest, Michelle Ashby. She is an independent corporate director named as one of the top 25 most powerful women in Colorado. And she is an expert on board governance and on helping you find your path to the boardroom. So, Michelle, welcome to the show. Hi, Karen. It's so great to be here with you today. I cannot wait to have this conversation. We had a pre-meeting before the show, and it was another one of those situations where I was like, man, I wish we had the recording going because it was just so full of good information. So everyone who's listening, you're in for a real treat. There is some great stuff that Michelle has to share with us. So you've been involved in your work bringing women up to place them on boards and training women to be on boards, but I don't want to talk about all that. I want you to, but can you tell us a little bit on how you became an expert through your technology background to becoming a board expert and helping other women become board members? Absolutely. So, you know, when we first met and I looked at what your audience is about and tech and and how are we connected with each other or how are we related? Because my background's in finance and mining. It's still two male-dominated industries, as is tech. So let's start with that. So my short version of how I came up is when I started out as a stockbroker and I didn't know anything. I was like one of the worst stockbrokers you'd ever meet as a rookie because I always wanted to talk to people and learn about them. And my bosses would be giving me dagger eyes like you're supposed to be selling, not talking, you know. So I became a mining analyst. I specialized in the gold mining space pretty early in my career. And then 
ultimately, I started a trade association for the gold mining industry. Well, through all of that, I was establishing relationships with men who were running mining companies all over the world and their largest investors who were typically men as well. And through that process is how I built those relationships. And I was invited to my first board in 2005. And it was from a friend, you know, someone I knew in business for a long time. So that was your first introduction to being a board member. And then you took this further. And I think you've also got some very interesting insights about women who work in male-dominated industries and what we need to do in order to thrive in our career in that environment. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. So I have three decades of experience in working with men. And I actually have had a number of really great men who've mentored me, supported me, you know, helped push me, you know, when I needed it, pulled me when they could help me. And I think that is really the key. And it's not a gender thing. It was like recognizing my ambition and my interest in the industry and also my willingness to take a chance and build something that would benefit the industry, not just myself or not just them. And I gained all the support and I also gained a lot of visibility. So I'm sure you've heard or seen where people have said, stand out in the crowd, right? That's how you're going to get recognized. So visibility is going to happen in different ways for different people. And for me, it was in when I started this trade association and I was running that because I would be in front of, you know, all of these very powerful men running large corporations and they were global. They were all over the world. So they knew who I was. They could see what I did and they benefited from what I created. So ultimately I was bringing capital to the projects that they were trying to get into production around the world. So, I mean, this is really fascinating from the standpoint that you stood out probably you were the only woman in the room forever, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Huge and benefit, number one. Yep. Huge benefit because you're very visible. Yes. Did you ever feel invisible? Mm -hmm. Like, did you yeah. ever have that feeling of being invisible in a room full of men? You know, I could say yes, but it was so infrequent and I'm kind of cocky. So when people would try and do that to me. I'm Irish and I'd come up with some, you know, flippant way to turn it around. So an example is I was at a reception for the mining industry and I had, I'll tell you what, our trade association had no money at this time. And we really needed to get buy-in from other companies in the very beginning. It was a long, hard slog for the first five years. And so I actually committed to pay $2,500 to be a sponsor of this reception. The reason being because the largest gold mining company almost in the world was also going to be there. And so that was my ticket to get in the same room. Well, the CEO chairman didn't like me. It was very clear. And when I saw him, I made a beeline for him and I shook his hand and I said, so great to see you. It's wonderful that we're sponsoring this cocktail reception together. And his face just 
like he's holding a smile, but I could see him crumble as the words were coming out of my mouth because he was like, you know, so yeah, (laughs) so stuff like that. I didn't do that a lot, but, you know, I would take chances like that. Well, that shows your confidence in yourself, right? Yeah. And also strategic thinking in terms of managing the room and managing the relationship so that you sort of headed off a potential problem before it became a problem for you. And I mean, that's very insightful. Do you feel like that's something that you you just naturally know? Or did you, someone give you some insights along the way that helped you develop the necessary skills to basically hold your ground in a room where you might be the only one, lonely and lonely, as we say. Yeah. So two things. First of all, my father, who I felt raised me to be and do anything I want. Secondly, I went to an all-girls Catholic college preparatory high school, and their goal was to get us into careers, not into homemaking. And so the expectation was that you were going to go out and change the world. And to give you an example, Condoleezza Rice was a year ahead of me. So that was the caliber of people that I was in school with. And I went into the workforce because of that with the thought that I'm competing with people on my intellect and my experience. That's it. So that's how I approach things. It wasn't about I'm a girl and you're a boy. It was about, you know, am I smarter than you? Can I be the smartest one in the room? Or can I have more experience than you? And those two things were the things that I would build on. So you had, number one, the family support. And then I think probably your family had something to do with where you went to school. And they picked, helped you pick some place where you were nurtured and supported and built up in that, you know, the confidence that you really needed to say you have a voice and it's worth being heard. Right. Yeah. And I think there were high expectations because it was very gender neutral. Like my sister wanted to fix an old car, you know, and repair it so that she could drive it. And my dad was like, sure, you know, here's the manual. I'll buy the parts and she would go out and fix it. So there just weren't those kind of, you know, lines, I don't think, as we were growing up. So I think that probably set the big foundation, number one. You were probably trailblazers. You just didn't even notice it. (laughs) Right. Exactly. We had no clue. It was just like work hard. You know, it was that ethic, right? Work hard and pay for stuff as you go along. That's pretty much what you need to know. Don't ask me for, you know, any, you know, not my parents wouldn't support us, but they didn't just hand us stuff. We had to go earn it. Sure. I think the pivotal moment for me, I think I was about 11. And I also had, I was raised, as a lot of people who listen to the show know, by a Navy fighter pilot father who later left the Navy and became a medical doctor. And so his overall ethic was, you just go do what you need to do, right? And you just go get it done. And that's what you focus on. But when I was 11, I went to his Navy fighter pilots reunion in Pensacola, Florida, was where I was introduced to the Blue Angels for the first time. And I was so I was so enamored of, you know, they were, I think they were flying F-15s at the time. And I loved, I loved the jets. I loved, you know, the flying information. I was just completely taken with it. And I remember turning to my dad going, that's what I want to do when I grow up. I want to fly a fighter jet. And he just, without a moment's hesitation, he said, girls don't do that kind of thing. Oh. And I was like, okay, fine. Like, (laughs) 
<laughs> I didn't, it set me back for a moment. Like I was like, you mean there's things that girls aren't supposed to do? Like what? <laughs> like, because we're girls. Right. Like that just made me so mad. Yeah. And after that, that was, so that was kind of my natural inclination was, was you're going to throw a gauntlet down. I'm going to pick it up. Like, there's no way I'm not going to take that challenge. And of course I didn't become a Navy fighter pilot for a lot of other reasons, but always took it upon myself to say, if that is what I want, I'm not going to let something hold me back. Now you work with lots of other women and now that you've kind of paved your own way with the help of other people and mentors and stuff along the way, you are helping women find their place in their seat at the table on corporate boards. Right. Yeah. So let me talk about the difference between working with men and working with women. I have three decades of working with men in finance and in mining, and I'm totally comfortable there. I know the rules and regulations and how to maneuver through that world. And I didn't trust women because women, not every woman, but women stabbed me in the back along the way in my career. So I just chose not to you know, include them or hang out with them. So that brings up the question, how did I shift over to being such an advocate and champion for women and helping them get on boards? And it was really a personal transformation for me. And when I realized that I could help other women, I interviewed 200 women over 18 months. I had coffee, breakfast, lunch, cocktails, dinner, whatever. I wanted to know why aren't you on a board and tell me about your career? And I met amazing qualified women, but they didn't know they were qualified. And I recognized that there was this big gap. And I was like, whoa, wait a second. I know something they don't know. How do I package this? And is there a place for that to teach other women how to do this? So I did research, like what's out there just for women to help them understand what a corporate board is, how to get paid on a board, you know, how to get on a board, how to behave in the boardroom, you know, those gender dynamics. And so there wasn't anything really out there. You could go to Harvard and Kellogg, but oh, by the way, you have to be the female CEO of a pretty large company in order to get in their programs. Well, that leaves out like 99% of us. And so the decision was made, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it as fast as I can. That's why I chose to train a thousand women. And I'm going to do it in a way that is going to also, you know, not just teach them, but I'm going to help them get on boards. I will be their champion. So I have to be able to stand in front of a room of women, very powerful women. And if I don't trust them, or if I don't, you know, kind of, invite them to trust me, this is not going to work. And that's how I had to go through a personal internal transformation and recognize this will only work if I put my whole self on the line and I share and I'm authentic. I'm an open book. And that's what I invite them to do as well. I want to pick up on something there because you had this experience where you had every reason based on your, you know, your own personal experience to feel somewhat guarded around other women. And there's something in there where you decided and you did completely shift to say that might be the past. I am going to focus on paving the way and being a champion and an ally for 
other women specifically now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, I mean, was there something you had to retool in your own thinking or shift your beliefs in order to make that work? I did. That's why I took 18 months and talked to 200 women. And that's, I had to build that trust. Like, you know, what men were saying around the table is we can't find any qualified women. And I was like, well, I get that. Because when you ask me, you know, for a woman referral, I don't have one either. So I need to go out and talk to women myself. Like, I'm not just going to take our word for it. I'm going to go out and find out, are there women who are qualified? And what I learned blew me away. I was like, oh, my God, just because we're women, we're victims of our own circumstance. I met women who are running huge projects, big responsibility of major P&Ls, overseeing hundreds of employees. But they didn't get the title and the comp like their male counterpart did. So as a result, they were hitting the ceiling, the ceiling everybody talks about. And so I was like, wait a second. If we break this down and take away the titles, I found some women who are skilled, who are experienced, who could definitely sit at the board table and make a big contribution. So let's shift this around a little bit. So I also did a lot of research. So I started learning more about women's movement. So let's say from 1960s to the present. So then I dove into reading books about all of that and equality and what worked and what didn't and why we got as far as we did. And then it stopped because I'm asking all these questions in my mind. I'm trying to figure out what do I know that these women don't know? So I definitely had to go through quite a process in order to sort that out so that I could actually articulate it then to men and to women, actually. Here's what I love so much about what you are doing. Because we know from research that when men recruit from their network, right, the network where they do their daily business, that they're recruiting more people just like them. Right. And that's why they don't see anybody who doesn't look like them (laughs) as a potential candidate. And what you're doing is you're, you went out and literally shifted the balance by interviewing all of these women, recognizing that there was all this talent, but it's not being recognized in the same way that male talent is being recognized. So you're bringing them to the board as qualified candidates and expanding this network that has been so, what I would call, homogeneous for board seats all this time. And now you're bringing the rest of the diversity to that table, which is fabulous. And thank you for doing that. That's like, that just seemed like that was kind of your, like you had this sacred contract somehow in all of this experience that you developed as in your background, working in mining and in finance and male-dominated industries. And now you are doing something that benefits everybody. Right. Benefits everybody. Exactly. And it's like, again, going back and understanding what is my vernacular and how is my vernacular different than other women, you know? Mm -hmm. And so breaking that down. So that's what I call the executive vernacular. And that's what I teach women. So let's take your background and your experience. Let me look at your resume. Let me interview you. Let's take that piece. And then we're going to build it in. We're not going to lie. We're going to build it in to that verbiage that is in the executive vernacular. Because think about it. You answer this question. 
what do you think the person looks like who is on the other end who's going to look at your resume when it gets sent in for a board seat? Right. They're not going to look like me. What do oh, they gonna a- look like? What gender? <laughs> oh, they're going to be male. Uh-huh. And what color? They're going to be white. Yeah. And what age group? They're going to be in the 50, 60 age Six, group. Yeah. 63, 63 average. Uh-huh. Okay. So- That white male brain is wired, hardwired in a certain way. So when we show up like women, we hit barriers in their brain, in their thought process. When we show up like men, and what I'm saying is in the resume, if your resume looks in the font, I'm talking about even the font that it goes in. You want it to go in the brain and to click, not to go in the brain and get stopped. Very interesting. Yeah. Right. Well, that makes perfect sense. That just kind of goes right back to the thing that you talked about right at the very beginning of the episode, when you went into the room and went up to shake hands of the person that you knew could be a barrier for you. Right. This is something you just, you naturally have an understanding of how to navigate that, I think. So let me talk about the naturalness. We all have a naturalness, but then we also have what we learn. So one of my first male mentors, when I got into mining, he was in Moscow, Idaho. His name is Dr. Bill Green, and he ran mining companies. And I was talking to him, you know, on behalf of investors is how I met him. He said, Michelle, there's a big mining conference up here in Spokane in the fall. Why don't you come up and I'll introduce you around? So I said, okay. He goes, bring a pile of business cards. He gave me instructions, okay? So I go up there. There's 500 men and me. I'm the only woman except for the servers in the room. And this gentleman took me around one by one, and he stood next to me, and he said, Michelle, shake his hand. This is Jim Brown. Shake his hand. Give him your card. Introduce yourself. And he's going to introduce himself take his card, and then we're going to go talk to someone else. And he was saying this out loud in front of the men. Okay. How did that go? It went fabulous because number one, the guys were so like I stood out. They're like, oh my God, here's a young, interested, motivated woman in our industry. And so they were like, oh, and you know, of course they kind of giggled, but he was serious as a heart attack. And I came back from that meeting with a stack of business cards. And I went, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. But I created a trade association two years later out of piles and piles of business cards that I accumulated over those two years and people I'd met. I was like, let's start an association for you guys so we can attract more capital as a group to your projects that need financing. And they were like, yes, we love that idea. We'll do it. And so that's how that all came about. You're amazing. And you really do. You challenged me on this little thing. And that is, you took that kind of coaching and that engagement that was introducing you one at a time to people literally out loud telling you to shake their hand. And you took that and turned that into a gigantic positive. And I can see myself where I was 30 years ago, where that would have A, made me feel small or B, made me feel angry. And that's just, I'm just being honest because I'm wondering that I'm wondering how other women who are hearing that might react to it. But what I think is important here is what you did with it, turned it into such a major mover 
for your career, you accepted with grace that kind of coaching because that's what they could offer you. That's what they were able to do. Like, right? right. They weren't. And you took that gracefully. Right. And then you turned it into an association, an industry association. That's incredible. Right. And it, yeah. I mean, it went on and on. There were men who would, I'd be like, I'm really interested in what does it look like to be on a mine? Well, let's go on a mine tour. And I drive down and go on a mine tour, put on all their gear. And, you know, I think it's the curiosity. It's the openness. It's being willing to be like, I don't know enough about this. Can you teach me? People love to teach you things they know. Yeah. And another thing you didn't do, you didn't assume what their motive was. Right. Except to think about it in the positive. Right. Which I think really played to your advantage. Right. And again, you know, that recognition of being the one standing out and having men talk to me along the way, like I had friends who were like, Michelle, you need to take advantage of where you're at because you're getting into places I can't get into. Think about it. I'm competing with 20 guys that look just like me who have the same you know, education as I do, but you don't have that obstacle. So you need to take advantage of it. And if you're invited into the boardroom, you need to go. If you're invited on this, you need to go. If you need help here, just ask and I'll introduce you to that person. So really great guidance from male friends and colleagues too. Yeah, I just think this is brilliant. Because the approach that you're taking, if I can kind of try to sum it up from my perspective, is one of leading with curiosity, mm-hmm. being willing to say, I don't know, please show me, mm-hmm. and then having the initiative and the confidence and the network that you built to build something out of it that wasn't there before and to take your your uniqueness being, you know, what we call the only and lonely, but you turned that into a huge advantage. It is our advantage. So ladies, that's your advantage. You need to flip it, like flip the thinking. Yeah. Say more about that, because I think this is really important. Really, really important. There are so many things I think we need to flip our thinking on. You and I talked about this a little bit earlier too, about we need to toughen up a little. Yeah, exactly. I say suck it up, you know, or if you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, stop it. We tend to go too long in things that we shouldn't be doing because they're sucking our energy, like getting on nonprofit boards. Stop it. Quit giving it away for free. You should be paid for what you are bringing to the table. That value has monetary value to it as well. So flip your thinking. Yeah. You know, don't say more about flipping the thinking because as a mindset, right? Is this mindset work? Is this what you're talking about? I think it is. I mean, it's like you're saying the only lonely, I guess I grew up looking for opportunity. You know, I like to fix things, not fix them, but I like to find a need and fill it. Like, is there a solution here? I'm a very analytical person. So Then I'll go, like I said, I went and interviewed all these women because I wanted to really know the truth. And then I went and read a whole bunch of books and I watched a bunch of movies. I was like, what is this movement about? I'm not a feminist. I would never call myself a feminist. What's wrong with it? But I had to find what does feminist mean? What are the layers of feminists? You know, so it's really, again, going back to that curiosity, 
asking the questions for yourself and not just taking things for granted that are being fed to us in our information and in our learning. And, you know, the other thing is really prioritize. Ladies, put yourself at the top of the list sometimes. It doesn't have to be all the time because I know it's really hard to do that. What does that mean? It means cut out the stuff that is sucking the energy out of you that is not good for you. Make space for the furtherance of your career. Men do it. They delegate. You can delegate. Can you find someone to help you? I hire people to help me prepare meals. I hire people to help me with, you know, obviously an assistant. I hire people to help me with my website. I don't do all that stuff. Yeah, I do think we allow things to hold us hostage. That keeps us from having the energy that we need in order to focus on the things that really do move the, our ability to make a mark and a contribution forward. And I honestly, I don't think I'll use the term after today. I'm not going to use the term only and lonely again, because I think that's part of it. It sounds passive and it sounds helpless. Exactly. And it, it's super powerful. Oh, my God. Everybody's looking at me. I have the floor. How can I use this to my benefit? Who do I want to go talk to? I'm going to just walk right up to them, put my hand out and shake their hand. It's such a gigantic difference. And I know a very good friend of mine, Rachel Jane Groover here in Colorado, she teaches something that she calls the art of feminine presence, which means you don't actually have to walk into the room like one of the guys. You actually walk into the room as embodying the power of the feminine not to say that you have to be, you know, if you're listening, don't read into that too much about what I mean by that. What I'm trying to say is don't walk into the room going, oh my gosh, I'm the only one here. I need to be a little bit invisible. You walk, I'm guessing, Michelle, you walk into the room and everybody knows you have arrived, but not because you're noisy or loud or anything like that, but your presence, you bring your presence with you in the room and everybody notices. Right. And I work very colorful clothes. I had my colors done, but I love color anyway. So I really do want to stand out. I take advantage of the fact that I'm a tall, beautiful woman. And I wear a lot of good jewelry, all that kind of stuff. So I think like a man, I look like a woman, I act like a woman. I think I have everything. Like I'm walking in with all of it. And that's what we should be doing is bringing our entire self to the table. Yeah, you're totally owning it. I remember when I was on a board for the first time, I sort of ended up there by a very unexpected set of circumstances. And so I find myself in a board meeting and I'm thinking, how do I make sure that I figure out how to belong here? And fortunately, there was one other woman on the board for me. So I just studied her. (laughs) And it's like, what is she wearing? What jewelry is she wearing? What is like, how does she carry herself? How does she make these statements? Because I didn't have a mentor. You know, I didn't have somebody who was kind of coaching me on this. And so I'm trying to figure it out as I'm going. But I still have the bracelets that I bought because that's what she wore. Oh, I'm just saying, you know, I totally, I was literally looking for any kind of a clue that says, how do I do this? So let's shift a little bit because you talked about it very briefly earlier, but I want you to dive into you train women to be placed on corporate boards. Correct. You are the mentor that I wish I had when I ended up in that place because there was nobody to go to to say, how do I do this, right? How do I show up and do what I need to do? So could you talk a little bit about what's involved in, you know, what kinds of things do you 
teach to the women that are in your programs to help them become board members? So I have two programs, but I'm going to talk about my certification program, which is eight weeks long. I only train eight to 12 women at a time. Everyone goes through a pretty rigorous application process because it's important for me to make sure that that you are qualified to do this. And also I train women from their 30s to their 70s because I believe that young women having this information will make better career decisions going forward and they'll end up in power seats a lot sooner than other people have in long careers. So I teach, it's a very compact course. I teach board governance, financial acumen, how to get on boards, risks and responsibilities, gender dynamics in the boardroom. So what you were talking about, I have a male CEO who talks to our group about how women show up in the boardroom and the things that we do unconsciously that can affect how we're being thought about around the table because men won't say it. But they're thinking it. So John tells that, tells us what those things are. I've learned so much from him myself and changed some of the behaviors of myself in the boardroom because I was unconsciously doing some things that were affecting my effectiveness as a board member. So it's just an amazing thing. We actually do one day where we do board role play. So every one of the candidates are elected to a board and elected to committees. They go, do they do committee meetings? I give them, you know, here's a scenario that you guys need to talk about. And then we actually go through the board meeting. One of the women will be elected the chair of the board and we'd spend time doing that and then we break it down. We actually stop at some point, we close the meeting and then we start asking questions. What happened here? What happened here? How does this work? How does that work? So it's really powerful. And as I said before, I talk about the patriarchal model. How do we function in that? And I talk about the executive vernacular. How do we communicate so that we are heard when we're speaking to another executive male that can help us get on a board? You get to put together your own action plan on how to get on a board. And it's not just the kind of left brain things, but I go through a lot of exercises to help women go from their confidence and understand their worthiness and help them transform that into their, you know, competency as a board executive. That's incredible. And, you know, I'm going to offer something here and you tell me if you, you know, if this resonates with you or not. But for those who are listening to the show right now, you know, Michelle just talked about the patriarchy and about needing to function within the patriarchy. I want to offer that the patriarchy is here to stay. Honestly, we're not going to replace it. It's been embedded in our DNA and our evolution for billions of years. It's probably older than trees and there are matriarchal societies. But my, my point is that we have a patriarchal society and learning to get curious about it and how to overcome any barriers that it places in front of us and how to not create our own barriers as a result of it is the important thing. It's not important really to focus all our energy on the fact that the structure is patriarchal. Would you agree with that? Right. So what I say to people is, it's our job. I think we need to honor and respect the patriarchal model. 
we can function just as well as men can in it. So it's really, I feel like I'm a translator. And yeah. 30 years of working with men, I know how they operate. I know how they use it. I know how they talk about it. I know how they climb the ladder. I know all that stuff. So how do we translate that into a language that women understand? And it's not always words that women like because they're like, oh, that, like you said, that made me angry or that made me this yeah. way. Right. So these things start coming up and I'm like trying to help break that down and go, OK, I totally get that. And at the same time, it's super important for you to get over it and get your butt in that corporate board seat. And I'm going to help you do that. I love that. I had a big aha a couple of weeks ago and I don't I'm, I'm offering this here in case it's helpful to anybody else who's listening. Sometimes we have huge adversity. I mean, let's face it. There are people, you and I both have the advantage of being part of a dominant culture, a European dominant culture that, you know, we're white. And so while we're our gender, you know, we're women, we don't have certain barriers that other people do have. And so I'd, I'd love to talk about that in a second. But one of the things I want to, I want to just note here is everybody has to deal with adversity in their life and it can be anything. Some of it is tragic and heartbreaking. Some of it is annoying. We can change the way we dance with adversity by, you know, yes, we may have to grieve, but also we can take a step aside and say, what is this teaching me? You know, adversity is an incredible teacher. And when we encounter barriers in an environment of any nature that, you know, whether it's a corporate environment, a nonprofit environment, a board environment, taking that moment and say, I'm going to be curious about this, not angry about this. Tell me what I need to learn to go to the next level, to go to the next segment of my journey instead of being stuck here because I can't get past my frustration and anger about how unfair and unjust something might be. Does that resonate with you? That's kind of where I'm at at this stage in life where I've, you know, there's some certain things that I'm just not going to be able to change. Right. 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 But I want to know what am I going to learn from this because I'm going to use it to make me better. And I, I just sense that theme from everything that you've told us so far. You said it beautifully. So I don't need to add I used to look up at the sky and go, God, do I have to have every life experience? <laughs> yes. And now I say, God, thank you for giving me every life experience because I believe that I can, you know, I can relate to almost anyone. It doesn't matter color, size, you know, wealth, background, where they live. It could be an alien. I really feel like I, I could relate to just about anyone. In your program, you have a thousand women as you're training a thousand women. Do you have a like a diverse population? I do. I do have a diverse population right now of my certified group. I have about 80 women now that have gone through my certification and 10 to 15 percent are minority women. And yeah, so it's definitely. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Wow. That's great. You are doing sacred work. And I am so glad that we got introduced so that we could have this conversation. I think a lot of what you're saying, I hope people will let this settle in because it's going to hear, it might sound a little bit different to you to hear this thing, which I totally resonate with, which is just put your head down and get it done. Like suck it up, get toughen up. Don't let this get to you. 
you know, learn from it, do better and go forth and conquer. Right. And I think that's the tone that I hear in all of this, which I find incredibly refreshing because it's, you know, when you set a bar really high for someone, it's not a bad thing. It is a huge compliment. And you're setting the bar really high. It says, get out there and do this. Right. Yeah. And you're not just setting the bar for them. You're helping them reach it. Yeah. Which is just so incredible. I can think of so many times where I wish I had had that along the way. And I'm very, very excited to hear what you're doing. And I'm signing up for your program, by the way. So. <laughs> Well, you'd be amazing. And I, you know, like, because you're in tech, and there's such a shortage of women in the boardroom and in the CEO roles, you know, we need more people like you. Absolutely. And I, the other thing is, Karen, once you become one of mine, once you go through my program, I always have you. I, I, (laughs) (laughs) you sound like me. I said, you will never leave. (laughs) I become your pusher, your cheerleader, your, you know, champion, all of the above. And so there's an ongoing engagement with our whole group of ACE graduates. In fact, last night we had a Zoom meeting that was open to all the ACE graduates. And we had an hour and a half of talking about your presence online and how much it matters. And with the pandemic, it's getting even, the bar is being raised, ladies. By the way, don't show up in a ball cap. Make sure that your LinkedIn is professional because that's where people are going to go look at your background. And we spent a whole hour and a half talking about those specific nuances and how to up our game. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very important these days. Yeah. So I don't quit. I keep going. (laughs) Well, I appreciate you. That's amazing. I love what you're doing. And how will the women who are listening to us today and their allies get in touch with you? So I'm on LinkedIn. My name is Michelle Ashby and Michelle is with one L, by the way. If you're going to go look for me there, I'm in Denver, Colorado. So that might help you find me. The other place is on my website, which is acellc.consulting. And there's lots of information there about my courses. And I'm running a special on my online course right now. So if you run to your computer and get on the website, you can take advantage of that. So it's ace, like the ace of spades, acellc.consulting. I will make sure that's in the show notes. So anyone who is looking for that information, if you go out to the show notes on our podcast website, you'll be able to find those links quite easily. And we'll have your information out there with your name spelled with one L. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. It's so delightful to speak with you, and I can't wait to do this again. We need to come back and have this conversation again. I'm sure there's going to be lots of people interested in knowing how they can do more with this, especially with recent legislation that is requiring women on boards. So the opportunities are opening up. You want to be ready for this because this is how we change the dynamic of workplace culture. It's how we're going to change the innovation cycle and the productivity cycle and creativity cycle in so many technology sectors, because once we have, you know, diverse representation, the lid's just going to come off of it. And if we can make that work by your participation in boards, you know, then we will have accomplished a great thing in this generation. And I'm, I'm excited. Michelle, thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you for being on the show today. 
Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful. Thank you. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. We're on a mission to help you make your tech life the best it can be. And a big part of that is helping you handle adversity like a boss. You can get more right now with our free gift for you over at beanally.today to download Flame Proof, your anti-burnout guidebook. If you love our podcast, don't forget to subscribe and let others know. You can also get more insights from our weekly podcast digest on topics that are relevant to you, your allies, and your entire organization. So remember, you have the ability to create the tech life you love and to make a difference for our industry. See you next week. And in the meantime, be well and be an ally. Be an ally.